Let's thank God. Dear Lord God, we're very grateful for this warm day, and we're grateful for another chance to look at your prophet Jonah's adventure, um, ministering your mercy to the Syrians. We'd ask that you would be um, helping us in our thought as well. In your son's name, amen. Okay, first week, Jonah disobeys, runs away from the presence of the Lord. He gets thrown over the side of a ship, swallowed by a whale. Pick up the next week with him repenting in the belly of the whale. And a discussion after the uh, um, last week's study. Um, Vanessa, there's some notes right there if you want to grab one. Um, talking with someone afterwards and they said they've been in a number of Bible studies about Jonah and that they were always told that his prayer was insincere. I was stunned, shocked, uh, but uh, there are other things in the book that will stun us and shock us. Chapter 3 notwithstanding. Uh, but the way we step into it is Jonah has been vomited up onto the shore uh, by uh, the whale. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. Now remember, from our first week, Nineveh is Mosul, that you hear about on the news. Nineveh is Mosul. Uh, the ruins of Nineveh are inside the city, uh, if you could get there and go look for them. Um, so Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now one I would, I just, and it may be just in passing, it might be part of their storytelling uh, style, uh, that you're always having the word of the Lord coming to the prophet Isaiah, Ezekiel, and the word of the Lord came and said, we don't know what the experience was like, but I, I noticed as I looked at this, because there was that thing in the first chapter and the second that mentioned his flight from the presence of the Lord, and then feeling he was um, cast off from the presence of the Lord in his confession. So I didn't want to pass over this idea of the word of the Lord coming to him, and then him doing he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, here we sit, North Idaho, um, with a nicely bound book. Each one of you owns multiple copies, I'm sure, of what we have titled the word of God. And we consider it as believers the revelation of God down through the centuries. And uh, it's come to us, in other words. It maybe not come to you personally, maybe a you're not the kind of Christian that opens your Bible at a whim and expects the verse to be meaningful to you. I hope you're not that kind. Um, what I want you to have in mind as we go through this chapter, this is more as an introduction to where the chapter takes us. When we hear the word of the Lord, do we do things then according to the word of the Lord? And what's the... Uh, I mean, is that just piety? What is that? I mean, 
you do something according to the word of the Lord. If it says, children, obey your parents, for this is right. You look at a child, you say, obey your parents. That's the word of the Lord to you. And they would do according to the word of the Lord by obeying their parents. But why? I mean, I mean, the atheists seem to be getting along just fine without doing the word of the Lord. Why? Why? Uh, why ought we? I mean, we're religious people, but that's probably not a good enough reason. Now, what this chapter conveys, I think, and we'll get to it in a moment that when you do according to the word of the Lord that means you've picked up what God has communicated to man about himself and about his world how he thinks about it, how he designed it, what he wants you to function in regarding it how you are to design yourself and when you don't it's called sin right? Just, when you have served when you live according to something else you live according to some other rule, your own rule, your cult leader's rule, your social professor's rules, whatever they are, um, it's sin. Maybe not everything they tell you to do. If, if you were hungry and you commanded yourself to go to McDonald's and get some fries, it wouldn't be a sin. But when we're looking at a, a life at large, to live in accordance with something there's going to be a gap between what's according to the word of the Lord and what's according to something else. This chapter is about what happens regarding that. And uh, just as I make a little comment here, you might consider agreeing with the living God. Now, since we're Christians, we, we are stopping to say maybe we ought to be looking at coming into accord with the word of God. Now, so many people have a very simple path of coming into accord with the Word of God. That means they read a, uh, an imperative scripture about something, say out of the law of Moses, and they say, well, it's the Word of God, it's an imperative, I must do it, not knowing that Jesus Christ set us free from the law with his commandments and ordinances, and he made all foods clean and various things like that. So, when you're in accord with the Word of God, here is the word of the Lord to Jonah, arise, go to Nineveh, and if you were going through your morning devotions, and you said, Lord, whatever the scriptures say to me this morning, I'm going to do. I commit myself to do. Open it, Jonah 3, arise, go to Nineveh. <laughs> you shut your Bible, name it, claim it, off you go only to be gunned down in a hail of bullets by ISIS in Mosul. Probably not much better for Jonah. Because now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Three days journey in breadth. Now, we're not talking about an interstate going through Nineveh that you could get, make your full 20 miles a day walking. You're talking about ancient cities which one had outlying suburbs warrens of streets and getting three day one day into it uh, three day across was a, a legitimate measure Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey and he cried yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown 
the word of the Lord came to Jonah. He came and said, with the, he did what the Lord required according to the Lord, word of the Lord. And he says, it says later, that, um, that this is what God had told him to say. So 40 days. I don't know if that counted the one day journey. They really had 41 days. Or is it 39 days now that he's one day into it? But let's grant him a full 40 days. We're not going to go into the meaning of the number 40. What's interesting is Jonah gets one day into this ancient pagan city. And Nineveh has been the dominant city for about 100, 150 years for the Assyrians. It's the royal city. Shamshi Adad V is the monarch, probably. And the next verse is, and the people of Nineveh believed God. Because that's the first step in the word of the Lord coming to you and getting to doing according to the word of the Lord. Believing the word of the Lord. If you've talked to my father, you've heard the phrase, or maybe I've quoted it enough times. What does it say? Do you believe what it says? Will you do what it says? That's the, the outline we were given in life growing up. What does it say? Get a clear idea of what's going on here. Then, do you believe it? And here's the word of the Lord coming to the Assyrians. Um, and one day of preaching, as far as we can tell, the people of Nineveh believed God. Now, when you believe God, you know, the whole faith without works is, is dead. You, we're looking for, you probably talked to people that you, they seemed like they were trying to prove to you they were repenting, and you're not entirely sure whether they really were repenting. I'm really sorry, man. It doesn't seem to, doesn't seem to cover it. So, um, how do you tell? How do you what do you what do you look at? Um, the um, uh, Dylan, there's notes right there on the table if you'd like to grab one. Um, they proclaimed a fast, it says, and put on sackcloth, from the greatest of them to the least of them. Now I have a little reference here out of First Kings. I, I didn't have any room left after I was done shoving verses in. In First Kings 21. This is a story of right after Ahab was caught using Jezebel to get Naboth's vineyard and Naboth was, had charges trumped up against him. He ends up getting killed and Elijah goes after Naboth, uh, goes after Ahab, and and um, uh, who convicts him of of uh, and curses curses the household of Ahab. Verse twenty seven of chapter twenty one. And when Ahab heard those words, he rent his clothes and put on sackcloth upon it, put sackcloth upon his flesh, and fasted and lay in sackcloth, and went about dejectedly. 
And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? I think it's fake. No, it doesn't actually say that. <laughs> because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring evil in his days, but in his son's days I will bring the evil upon his house. In other words, Ahab's repentance, sackcloth, ashes, fasting, dejected. If, if you believe that you've moved from according to the, the word of self, the way I want it to be, and suddenly the lights come on in your life, and a, the word of the Lord comes across to you, and you believe it to be true. Leslie and I were talking to a woman a few weeks ago who um, growing in the Lord over the years she was our age set and uh, she was talking about how she discovered certain things in the scriptures about how she wasn't reared in anything Christian and she heard and, and, and finally realized what St. Paul said about marriage I, and repented she said I repented of what I had been thinking, of what I had allowed myself to do. Um, it was just, it was a very pleasant discussion because somebody wasn't telling me about their problems. Uh, they were telling me pre-repented pre uh, was really good. But when you believe the word of the Lord, when you hear the word of the Lord, and don't spend your time trying to get around St. Paul or try to get around the passage of Scripture, belief shines this 500-watt Klieg light on your previous decisions, how you used to do things, what you used to value. I mean, Nineveh, a great godless city. We're talking as ungodly as a pagan city could get. Um, I think orcs lived there. It looked like a city that orcs would live in. That's for you geeks here, just relating. But they repented believed, fasted, put on sackcloth up and down in the city. This wasn't just part of the city. This wasn't just the, the, the peasant class susceptible to a cult leader coming through town saying extreme things, you know, turn or burn, repent or perish, you know, that kind of sign. The world will end in 40 days. That's what he's saying to them. And from the top of the aristocracy down to the bottom, and it goes on, when then tidings reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, and covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he made proclamation and published through Nineveh. And this is his decree. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them cry mightily to God. Yea, let everyone turn from his evil way, and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may yet repent, and turn from his fierce anger, so that we perish not. This is coming down from the top. We're just talking about this scrawny Jewish prophet guy, who's walking across town doesn't want to be there, already had a rough week, shows up with a dark message for the Assyrians, and this is, I mean, he might have been a very good preacher, 
And maybe the message was more than yet 40 days, but it doesn't say more than that. But the interesting thing for me is what the, you might say, the emotional transfer from you serving you to you serving the word of the Lord. You serve the Lord when you believe the Lord, you're moving from knowing it's the word to living according to the word. Because unless you really have the, you might say, well, we know that in, we've maybe had enough Bible in your life, you talk about rending your garments, uh, sackcloth, we don't even know, we don't even have any sackcloth. Anyway, is it burlap, is that what it is, sackcloth? Some rough, unfinished, not comfortable um, cloth to cover your nakedness and you sit in ashes. Sounds like Job. We don't we don't have those kind of reactions when we're when we're um, repenting of of our sins. But I'd recommend, kind of like we were talking about last week, when you think of addressing God or speaking of God, speaking of Him fully. Think of your repentance fully. Think of what you're transferring from, because let everyone turn from his evil way is the crucial, um, the, the crisis moment for you, the crisis moment for us all. Because word has come to you that it is the times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands one that all men repent. That's what that's what has to happen, and it's a. Uh, and the king doesn't know if it's going to work. He says, who knows? God may repent of this word that we're going to be destroyed in 40 days. Now, that raises the question. And I want you to raise the, the, some of the, the things that this passage deals with and other passages in the Bible deal with. Uh, raise theological issues of which I am le less concerned about than this sort of primary issue. How we run the dipstick into our life regarding uh, uh, our repentance. What are, we, what are we doing when we the word of the Lord comes to us? What do we, how do we know we believe the word of the Lord? How do we move to according to the word of the Lord? What are we leaving behind? And what does it matter? That's probably the, the big thing. Well, for the king of Nineveh, and let's just say it's Shamshiadad, <coughs> the fifth, um, he is wondering if they could get God's attention in this degree of repentance, real, top to bottom, people fasting, animals fasting, everybody fasting. Because God might repent of what he was going to do. So when people say, hold it, hold it, because even though I'm going to try to avoid too much theology, it's kind of avoidably going to come in, but everybody feels, if they've thought about it theologically, they don't like the idea of God repenting. Okay? If you read, I think, the ESV or the uh, NIV, this is the RSV, it will say, maybe God will relent. They soften the word. Uh, it's the same word for repent that you use every other time. But people don't want the, you might say, the theological, it doesn't change the problem 
because God's plan goes from going to do this to not going to do that anymore. going to do this. Suffice it to say that he changes his mind about the calamity when it says um, turning aside from the evil. I have a number of quotes. Um, the word for evil is calamity. All sin is evil, not all evil is sin. A city falling was evil. But it wasn't sin for the city to fall. It was just calamity for the city to fall. But he had a calamity plan for Nineveh. And Shamshi Adad V thought it was possible that this repentance could change that plan. I have a quote here near the top of the right-hand side, Exodus 32-14. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do to his people. That's right at the end of the circumstance with the golden calf and Moses just getting, God getting ticked with the people and God getting so ticked he wants to blot them all out and he raised another people from Moses but he was going to destroy Israel in the desert. And Moses intercedes for Israel and then this verse, the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do to his people. Why this is important is not because it's a theological, you have a, your, your basic the, theological problem is a platonic immutability. God cannot change. What do you talk about repenting? He can't change his mind about stuff. And the other side, which is more open theist. But that's, again, not the point I'm thinking of. I want you to be thinking of what is riding on me moving, having heard the word of the Lord, believing the word of the Lord, it having affected my life that I would start to live according to the word of the Lord. What's riding on that? And I would say in this passage and others, the plans of God for your life are riding on this. Not, throw aside, even if you believe in God's immutability, set it aside for the moment, at least in the impression that is coming to you emotionally the scriptures are relating it this way that the change in Nineveh from top to bottom let's look at the last few verses in that passage recovering when God saw what they did how they turned from their evil way God repented of the evil which he said he would do to them and he did not do it it's pretty straightforward it wants you to believe at least for the moment at least for the time you are reading the fable of Jonah you are to believe in the kind of uh, sovereign deity who is watching the situation and the plans change according to how you functioned under the word of the Lord. You're assuming that when you became a Christian. The mercies of God were extended to you when before you were going to the bad place. Really. The plans change. You're now going to the good place. It could have been Universal Studios, but now it's Disneyland. <laughs> Both are awful. Well, this is not something that is just bumped into in Jonah. I mean, we had that passage in Exodus. The one, but the one that talks about it in terms of this is how God operates is Jeremiah 18, which is there most of the section on the right-hand side. Okay, Jeremiah is taught this is how God deals with people. And we're going to break that apart a little bit. 
the words that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, says the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Now, the question that sits on you is, what is being illustrated at the potter's house? The potter makes pots? Or that the potter could change what kind of pots he makes? Because that's the storyline that happened. He was working at his wheel. If he just God has plans for you, the point's been made with any pot that he made. But the clay spoiled in his hand, and he remade it into another pot that he wasn't planning on making before. And then he says, can't I do what the potter did? It's not, he's not claiming pots making, potters making pots. He's claiming potters making different pots, depending on what happens at the wheel. Now, when you try to think of this not in theological terms or philosophical terms, and I, I love the theology of this and I love the philosophy of this, but I want this to be beneficial to people who might not agree on those things. You're being at least asked to live inside, you might say, the suspend, extend some, what's it called? Suspension of disbelief. <laughs> if you hold a different theology, suspend your disbelief so that the benefit of the way God has worded it, because God has certainly worded it this way, that you're supposed to believe that for the sake of the spiritual blessing to you, so that you would approach your repentances, that you would be re you would understand when you're asking someone to repent what you're looking for, when you're offering them the word of the Lord, and they claim to believe it, you're, you're looking for certain kind of responses. A real shocking humiliation of a man's own will that we would turn from our evil way turn from our evil way and show our abject humiliation before God so that perhaps he would change what he planned for, for that. Now it could be whatever, this was more like karma because 40 days later they were going to be destroyed if I don't want to spoil her here, but Nineveh was not destroyed in 40 days. Because the Lord turned aside from what he was going to do. Now he says, and then he illustrates it. He says, can't I do this? What the potter did was change the pot. Not change pot making, but change this pot to a different pot. Because it's spoiled in his hand. Verse 7, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will repent of the evil I intended to do to it. That's almost like Jeremiah had read Jonah. Jeremiah is about 500 uh, B.C., and 
like I said, it's the 800s, late 800s for Jonah. So, 300 year difference between them, but Jeremiah could have been very familiar with Jonah's situation. And Jonah's situation is about this. When you speak of the mercies of God, which Jonah is about, you're speaking about our apprehension of God's pottery class. Is it possible to change what you were making? Do you ever do that when you were a kid, or if you have a kid who is just learning to make stuff 3D, or, or maybe color things, and, and they started out making a giraffe, but it turns out being a goat, because they know that's no giraffe when they're done. Their, their, their muse had left them. They decided it was going to be something else. Well, that's what God is claiming. Can, can't I do the same thing? Can't I work with this project differently than what I started out to do it as? And Jeremiah says, God speaking here, if I declare something and then they change the nature of the clay, because that's what the repentance is, the change of the clay, like clay in the potter's hand. You're the clay. God's plan is the pot. What kind of clay, how spoiled it is, how it keeps reacting badly to the word of the Lord, whatever it is, God just keeps, I'm going to finally make a bedpan out of you. People are going to be peeing in you for eternity. Some pots are made for noble use and some for ignoble. And it, uh, it's not Billy Graham that's going to be ignoble. Maybe some of us. So we have to be aware that what the categories are and what I'm supposed to at least feel about it. Don't feel you need to question everything you think is true about your theism. But you do need to question what you feel you're supposed to feel something about this. He says in verse 9, And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom, I will build and plant it. And if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will repent of the good which I intended to do to it. This is a direct lecture on what the word of the Lord coming to you will do respondent to the, action, to the answer you will give it. If I do, if I remedy it, if it's a judgment, I remedy it, he forgives and does good. If it's good he had planned for me, and I don't listen to him, and I uh, flip off the, the emissaries of the Lord, then uh, he'll repent of the good he intended to do to it. This is a manifestly adjustable <coughs> karma. You can fix it and you can spoil it. You're the clay. And he's happy to make a, he's, you might say sovereign, and he's making pots, you know? <clears throat> All the clay is going to be made into a pot at the end of the day. It's just going to be according to what the clay is. What, the clay is. what are we? Ignoble use? Noble use? What are we doing with the word of the Lord? Are we reacting to, the, to one type of attempt to be a good thing for God but not successfully so we spoil and so he shapes something else.
Now therefore, say to the men of Judah, verse 11, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping evil against you and devising a plan against you. Return everyone from his evil way and amend your ways and your doings. Basically saying, the nature of this communication is that the word of the Lord comes to you. I'm telling you clearly that I have a bad plan for you guys. The next step is what does the clay do? Does the clay react in such a way the potter wants to make a better pot for it, out of it? Verse 12, but they say, that is in vain. This is bolded for a reason. We will follow our own plans. And will everyone act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart? That's what we're going to do. We're going to keep rest. That seems like a good idea. Because until you and the word of God become in accord. I don't know what the root of accord is. Anybody? What? Accord? What? Anybody know what the word accord comes from? It's got meaning somewhere. We know what it means. That it's in keeping with, right? It's it matches up. <coughs> it's when the wife has a robin's egg blue dress and she puts her robin's egg blue heels on. It looks horrid, but it's in accord with each other. <laughs> if you remember the movie What's Up Doc, I think Madeline Bassett had that. Madeline Kahn. Madeline Kahn, the actress, played Eunice Burns, whose clothes were always matchy-matchy. Is two heart? Oh, so it's, it's putting the two hearts together. Two hearts beating no, as one. two as in toward. To, toward. To the heart. Okay. I don't know how that works then. <laughs> but that's good. Heart. I would not have guessed. Um, when you follow your own plans and the karma lands on you either in this life or the judgment of God in the next, it's in accord with what, it, you might say it matches what you do, but you did made no attempt. It's, it's almost as if when you do what you want, God will have the, the, the judgment match what you did. And if we make the judgment beforehand, if we judge ourselves truly, it says, we should not be judged. When we judge ourselves truly, we make the step towards God and live in accord with his word. That solves the problem. That solves the problem. Now, in all of these situations, the end of chapter 3 of Jonah, God repented of the evil he said he would do to them and he did not do it. His passage about uh, Ahab, I mean about um, the people of Israel, God repented of the evil. Same thing is true of Ahab. Yeah, he looks really repentant. I'm not going to do the bad thing to him. And then the lecture out of Jeremiah 18. We've got to have this be something that you're, God is preaching it to people in their repentance. He says, look, I'm, I'm shaping an evil. When you're talking to a non-believer, say, look, God is planning to damn you. You are by nature a child of wrath. Without... And that knowledge, that, that information says this can change. God's mercy can change. 
one of uh, I, I've given because I like quoting myself uh, on the law of lords. I've know I've told you many of you this. It's basically, a lord is lifted up to make that peace which those that are below must kneel to enjoy. That's the basic thing when you're dealing with a hierarchical notion of coming into an accord with what your overlord has said. You are kneeling. You are bowing to him. Because you're not bowing to him. You're saying, we will follow our own plans. We are not turning from each one of us from our evil way. We are doing what we want. But if we want the peace that the Lord offers, we must, to enjoy it, we must kneel. Now, we talked about it in the last week when at the end of his petitionary, uh, his uh, penitential prayer, he says, uh, I will offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Is that it? Is that how he worded it? But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to thee. What I have vowed, I will pay. And we talked a bit about the nature of thanksgiving and repentance. Because we're recognizing there is a peace and a good and a, a blessedness, an answer from God that is not just merely afraid of the biggest guy in the room, so we better do what he wants. We understand that when you hear the word of the Lord, how you should live, and you finally are broken of your impudence, you don't just believe it is uh, that that's true. You believe that is truly good. You know that to submit yourself to your Lord is to bring the peace that Lord governs to make. It's not to follow our own plan. I think Billy Graham had a book out many years ago, probably still in print, called Peace with God. And I remember not really comprehending what the, the book, you know, or seeing it many times, reading it. I'm not really picking up of it in my youth. I wasn't thinking about peace the right way, I don't think. But I think that that's what you gain when accordance to his word comes on you. When it says, you hear the word of the Lord, you do according to the word of the Lord, those are the things. And when people are out of the word of the Lord's accordance, they repent to get back there. This is all stepping away from your own plan. Now, each one of us probably has some element of worldly wisdom that has snuck in, whether it's libertarian, whether it's liberal, whether it's conservative, whether it's, whether it's uh, just churchianity, whatever it is, that has us doing something our own way regardless of what God has said. We pick up our traditions and say, we have a fine way of rejecting the law of God for the sake of them. Whatever your plan is, this, every inch of your submission to the word of the Lord is going to be a benefit to you. To the degree you are not in accord with the word of the Lord is to that degree at war with God, not listening to him. Because faith is believing God. That's it's not believing in God, it's believing God. Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. He didn't go, oh my gosh, I'm a theist now. You know, it wasn't getting rid of, oh, uh, I'm not sure if there's somebody up there watching us, now I'm sure. 
this God spoke to him. He heard the word of the Lord and he believed him. And God said, you believed me. That, I consider that righteousness. So these things start to tie together. You start to say, I yearn for that, you might say, protection of God in this life that his judgments and the you know, instant karma of life, the peace of God there, the thanksgiving I can render, all is going to come into whether or not I hear the word of the Lord and live in accordance with it. There's not much we can do to keep him from making the kind of pot you deserve to be made into. Um, There's something about... We, nobody wants to be destroyed, by the way, I'm pretty sure. Destruction is never pleasant. If you'd asked anybody in Nineveh before Jonah started preaching, do you guys want to be destroyed? No, nah, we don't want to be destroyed. There was a difference between God knowing, oh my gosh, they don't want to be destroyed. No, they didn't. But the change of moving to listening to their own evil way and for the violence that was in his hands, and turning away from following your own plans, there has to be the change. Not as a works righteousness, and of course in the Old Testament there's a, there's a different uh, regimen, but nonetheless, God's not just wanting to know about what you feel about things. Because what you feel you will speak. Somehow you will speak it. There's nothing sanctified about sackcloth. There's nothing sanctified about a pile of ashes and sitting on it. But the message of the king taking off his robe, putting on sackcloth, and sitting on a pile of ashes at the height of the world. This is Vladimir Putin and Donald Trump sitting on a pile of ashes in sackcloth. Nobody higher than they are. They're the most powerful people in the world. And if they repented, it's how are you going to say what you feel? If you don't say it, it can be argued you don't feel it. When little Johnny is told to thank Grandma for the socks they got at Christmas, well, she knows I'm thankful. No, she doesn't, because you didn't say it. And not only that, you didn't say it because you didn't feel it. We have wants, but if it reaches the point of belief and you feel it, you say it somehow. How do you say, I have not been in accordance with the word of the Lord. I have chosen to live according to my own way for too many years inside the church, and nobody can spot it because everybody else in the church is living in accordance with their own way. Somewhat at this you know, layer of Jesus on the outside. You've got to somehow communicate that Following your own plans hasn't, isn't what you uh, are finding working for you. When he says, who knows, the king says, who knows, it's like when Jonah said, deliverance belongs to the Lord. I, 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 this is not incantational. This is not something that uh, we get to say, uh, if I do this, if I wear sackcloth, it, God really falls for that. No, he wants the people to speak what they what they think. Now, I, because these, these chapters are short, 
and I don't want to talk more than I should. I'm at the end of the passage. It's quarter till. But there's this quote from C.S. Lewis in that hideous spring. And I wanted to include it because it's something, if anything, I want you to think about how you're dealing with the Word of God. Because I would recommend you not deal with it theologically. You may be right, you may be wrong theologically. It can be argued theologically. It can be argued philosophically. But who and what you're dealing with, if it becomes a theological definition, I don't care what the definition is, it could be the right one. You're not going to get someone out of it. God is someone. Then quite sharply, this is speaking of Jane, who's the heroine of the book. Then quite sharply, it occurred to her that the director, that's Ransom, never talked about religion, nor did the Dimbles, nor Camilla. These were the Christians that she had met. They talked about God. They had no picture in their minds of some mist steaming upward, rather of strong, skillful hands thrust down to make and mend, perhaps even to destroy. That someone, someone was there, not just a, a, a spiritual thought about which we had sublime feelings. It was someone who was making and destroying skillfully. And what we're facing with the passage in Jonah, the passage in Jeremiah, is who we are and how we listen to him affects directly, affects directly whether or not those hands reach down to mend or to destroy. And that's all I got. So, let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful. Keep us true to your word, what you've preached to us through your apostles and prophets and your son. We'd ask that we would be the kind of people that bowed the knee and understood. In your son's name we pray. Amen. <laughs>